Assalamu alaikum, peace be on you, and welcome to Sisters on Air on the Voice of Islam Radio, a women's show where we explore a variety of topics relating to women and religion and society. I'm your host, Dr. Michelle Akbar Khan, and in today's episode, we're going to be talking about the very important topic of education and empowerment. As a female, navigating life can be challenging at times. Each day, we're confronted with hundreds of decisions, some less important, others very important, with serious and very long-term implications. Now, when making these decisions, the thing that gives me the most confidence that I'll be able to get through is the fact that I know that I've done my best to build the skills necessary to confront these challenges and make the best decision that I possibly can. All that matters is that I'm trying my best, and after that, I leave it to God Almighty, as I pray to Him, the All-Knowing, to guide me and help me. Knowing that I'm not alone in these decisions, that God is always there with me, gives me a huge amount of peace of mind, as well as confidence to get through these tough moments. Whenever I feel anxious, praying to God Almighty is always the solution that has helped me the most. And I've seen so many miracles through this. Education is also hugely important, I feel. Every day, I wake up knowing that I will be surprised with a variety of new problems. What gets me through these problems is that I believe that I have the acquired skill set to try to work my way through these problems. Last year, my husband and I set off on a journey to renovate a completely derelict house. Now one might ask why we would take on such an insurmountable task, especially because we also happen to have two very young children. Well, there were a few reasons. One reason was that we really liked the location of the house. The second reason was that we felt as though by renovating the house, we could make it our own. The third reason was that we felt that we wanted to take on a challenge, and a challenge it was. I think there were a couple pieces of motivation that got me through this. Once I heard someone compare a house renovation to a pregnancy. Yes, pregnancy is difficult. However, once the baby is born, it's so worth all the challenges and so much more. I had also heard a quote that once stated that while we might not know the answer to all questions, we do have the skills necessary to be able to figure out the solution to these problems once we are facing or confronting them. So with this challenge of renovating the house, I took it one step at a time and eventually we got through. I feel as though it made me and my husband closer as well as we were able to tackle a challenge together. In hindsight, I'm so happy that we decided to go through that process. Once we finished that unsurmountable, enormous task, we both felt very empowered and fulfilled. I feel as though stepping outside of our comfort zones is something that we should try to do as often as possible. And I think the reason this is important is because it's when we are outside of our comfort zones that we actually learn the most and grow the most. I remember when I first started doing weekend shifts at work, I would be the only doctor covering two wards, and I felt very scared being responsible for about 60 patients' lives. However, with time, this became easier and easier, and I felt as though I would actually learn the most when I was challenged and pushed to my limits on these shifts. I feel as though these learning experiences are what enable us to feel more confident and empowered over time. Yes, they may be challenging in the moment, but it does always pay off in the long run. I would like to further this very interesting discussion with our two lovely studio guests who have very kindly joined us today. We have Annie Butt and Oneza Ahmed. 
Annie is a primary school teacher, leader of humanities, writer, and public speaker. And Oneza has an MSc and is currently working as a tutor. Assalamu alaikum, peace be on you both, and welcome to this lovely episode of Sisters on Air. <laughs> Waalaikumsalam. Waalaikumsalam. Thank you for having us. So I mentioned being pushed out of my comfort zone. I think this is a term or idea that is used casually in many different contexts. But just so that we have a better understanding, I wanted to talk a little bit about where this idea comes from. The zones we talked about were initially part of a theory of learning and development outlined by psychologist Lev Vygotsky. His theory of learning and development states that there are three zones. The first zone consists of what we can do without help. This is the easy zone, or what we would call our comfort zone. What we would consider outside of our comfort zone was then split by the psychologist Vygotsky into two areas. One was the hard zone. This includes tasks that were unachievable or beyond a person's capabilities. And the other zone he termed the zone of proximal development. Because of its strong applications in teaching pedagogies, it has been termed the learning zone. I think many people will be able to reflect on a time that they were pushed outside of their comfort zone that actually propelled them to learn something and recognize how aptly named this cognitive state of being is, the learning zone. So Annie, I'd like to ask you, can you tell us about some experiences where you tried something that was outside of your comfort zone? Thank you, Michelle. And thank you for that quick summary on what the term learning zone actually refers to. Um, it's quite interesting that you have mentioned Vygotsky, as he's definitely one of my favorite psychologists when it comes to theories on psychological development in children. And I often draw upon this theory when planning lessons, which is evident in the pedagogical approaches that I apply in my teaching. And I often say to children in my class that if they don't feel uncomfortable a little bit every day, then clearly I'm not pushing them to reach their full potential. Of course, that feeling of being uncomfortable doesn't mean to leave children feeling abandoned or fearful. It's all about recognizing the skills you have today and where you would like to be and how we can bridge that gap with the support of a more knowledgeable other. So pushing yourself out of the comfort zone requires that safe space to feel the fear, but do it regardless, knowing that the fears are merely due to the unknown ahead. And it's often the fear of not trusting yourself enough to be able to cope with an outcome different than what we envisage. So this could be the reason why our fear of failure becomes a hindrance to us pushing ourselves out of our comfort zone. Now, looking at the most memorable experiences where I pushed myself outside of my comfort zone was when I hiked up Ben Nevis, which is the highest mountain in the UK. Now, I should add here that I do have a fear of heights. And I often wonder whether this fear of heights has been internalized listening to others articulating this while I was growing up. But this should not have made my hikes any easier knowing this. Although I had been on many hikes before with Wales' highest peak, Snowdon, being one of them, taking on Benevis was definitely one of the most challenging hikes ever. That's incredible. I find it very inspiring that you pushed yourself outside of your comfort zone when hiking up Ben Nevis. I feel as though this experience, once you had completed the hike, gave you a positive feeling of growth and empowerment. I'd like to ask you how you felt when you pushed yourself outside of your comfort zone and how you felt doing something that, you were, that made you feel very uncomfortable. How did it help you to grow? 
So although this was not my first hike, it, as I said earlier, was definitely one of the most challenging ones for all the obvious reasons because of its height, but also for those reasons that no one else will know except the one who attempts to push themselves out of that learning zone or comfort zone. So other than my children, I had told no one that I'd be travelling to Scotland for the weekend and attempting a hike up Ben Nevis. This was probably because I was so scared that my fear of heights and my body's limits would stop me in my tracks. And I still remember being halfway on my ascent and looking at how far I had travelled. And this is when I reminded myself that this mountain is just a metaphor, a very real one for other highs and lows that I have had to experience to get to where I am today. And in that moment, I looked around and I have to say the beauty of Allah's creation just brought tears to my eyes. Now, some might say that those tears were because of exhaustion, because definitely felt exhausted. But who will deny the beauty of Allah's creation, especially when you have traveled and faced your fears to get to a point where you can see it at its best? I still remember reaching the summit and calling my best friend to tell her that I had made it to the highest point in the UK. After reaching the summit, I realized that the ascent is often easier because we've promised ourselves that beautiful view at the top. But when our body is exhausted from the climb, that's when we are hit with the descent and we are reminded that life's highs should really be appreciated. And when we see these as a blessing, we can then draw upon that on our descent, especially when I slipped and hurt my knee. And I remember sitting down for a few moments and my legs were shaking. Uh, I still don't know whether this was due to exhaustion or just a fear of failing. In that moment, what made me get up and continue on my walk down was that belief that I had just experienced the result of facing my fears and pushing myself way outside of my comfort zone. This is why whenever now I am plagued by self-doubt or a lack of self-confidence, I draw upon these experiences and remind myself that our fears are just our conscious or subconscious way to protect ourselves. Not only this, I believe that our fears are a very useful indicator to where the boundaries of our growth lie. And if we continue to use our fears as an impetus for growth, then we can embrace venturing outside of what actually feels comfortable. You know, as you said, the comfort zone. I find that really inspiring, Annie. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. I feel as though talking about these experiences with each other helps us to empower each other. I feel motivated and empowered after hearing you share that story. Also, I love that you said that it is when we are hit with the descent that we should try to remember and hold on to those positive feelings when, that we had when we were at our ascent. That's a very positive and powerful mindset to have, Annie. Finally, I would like to reemphasize the idea that fears are just subconscious ways of protecting ourselves. And a lot of, a lot of times, these fears can be irrational. We should remind ourselves of this when we do feel fearful so that we may have more courage to push past these fears and enter a point in which we are outside of our comfort zone and really pushing the envelope and growing. However, being in the learning zone is not easy per se for pupils in school or for adults trying something new. What kinds of tools do you use to motivate you in these times? I'd like to ask you, Inez, at this time, how do you make the most out of being in the learning zone? So being in the learning zone can be quite challenging and intimidating and I can recall many moments during my student life when I would have when I would have an assignment that would be so complex and difficult that I just wouldn't know where to start from or there would be a lab technique that I just couldn't get the hang of. But what I found over the years is that there are a few things that can help with being in the learning zone and to start with it helps to break down a task in the order you want to complete it and that can either be chronological or based on the dif difficulty level. And 
if there are parts of a task that I'd already be familiar with, I'd usually just start with those. And I found that completing even the small, easy parts just gives you that sense of achievement and the motivation to continue. Yes, breaking down tasks does help a lot with making things easier and more digestible, if you will. I love that coping mechanism, Anisa. Yes, absolutely. And when tackling the difficult aspects, which are what make the learning zone, what I've learned is that not to be shy of asking questions. Having adequate support and being comfortable with asking questions can make a huge difference. It can be the difference between doing incredibly well on an assignment and struggling to even complete it. And this is also where collaboration sort of comes in, seeking help from others, learning from those who've already passed that stage. And to reach a solution, it is essential to spend long enough on a problem, and often we tend to give up too soon. There is this technique you may have heard of called the Pomodoro Technique, and it's this time management method which involves identifying the task or the number of tasks that need to be done, and you do 25 minutes of focused work without any distractions, then take a five-minute break, and then repeat this um, process three times, and then you would take a longer 30-minute break and start again. And I find that this method helps increase efficiency, it helps increase productivity, and the reason I think it does that is because you're setting yourself an achievable goal. I mean, it's not too hard to do 25 minutes of focused work. And it helps to tick off the sections once completed and you get to celebrate celebrate those small wins, which then further that motivation to do more work. Um, another quality that I would say helps is resilience. Oftentimes it is the fear of failure or the fear that we may not do well enough that stops us from learning new things or leads us to procrastinate. So I think being willing to bounce back up from failures, allowing yourself mistakes, learning from them and being willing to try again really helps. Lastly, I do want to mention the most important part of dealing with any challenges, learning new things, which is increasing our prayers. And I feel efforts are fruitful when accompanied with prayers. And I've found personally that a lot of times when I'm overwhelmed by a task, praying for it would give me a new insight or my work would end up being of so much better quality than I'd anticipated. And there are many prayers that Islam has taught us that include seeking guidance and ease in our matters. And of course, a prayer that we are taught at a young age, as you may all know about this, is Rabbi Ilma, O Lord, increase my knowledge. Yes, absolutely, Aniza. I believe that there's truly no tool that can be more powerful than prayer. Yes, prayer is so important. And another thing that I've personally experienced is that giving precedence to our prescribed daily prayers over any other tasks has helped ease them for me. And it's solved my problems in a way that I could not have done myself had I spent the time doing the task instead of offering my daily prayer. And there is also that added benefit that it relaxes the mind from the stress of the work and helps you approach the work with a clearer head after the break. I really couldn't agree more. I feel as though if one is to give precedence to prayers, everything else secondarily becomes easier after that or as a result of the prayers. If one wants to overcome challenges, there's no better way than to ask our creator to give us the strength and the tools to overcome our challenges. Oneza, I'd also like to ask you, do times of adversity make you want to run away from them, or does overcoming these times give you the confidence to tackle more adversities? I mean, adversities do at times make me want to give up or find a way to escape them. But I find that they can be very humbling, and again, I would say they turn your attention towards prayers. And adversities can also become a cause of advancement, wisdom, and a way of gaining more experience. For example, if we look at the lives of the prophets of God and their communities, Trials and tribulations did not hinder their progress. In fact, they served as a means of advancing their cause and attracting divine favor. But the condition that they followed was that they remained firmly attached to God with patience, prayer, and, and they remained steadfast in times of adversity. 
In the Holy Quran, chapter 94, verse 7, Allah says, Surely there is ease after hardship. This verse gives me such great solace and comfort in times of adversity and reminds me of the characteristics the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, exhibited in times of hardship and how patience, prayer and steadfastness attracted divine favors and blessings. Yeah, I call it the three Ps, prayer, perseverance and peace. (laughs) (laughs) So I, I learned from these lessons, you know, and at times of adversity, I also reflect on my own intentions and motives behind doing something, the preparation I've undertaken in my prayers, but even if after praying and trying my hardest, I face obstacles in achieving something, I also consider the possibility that it may be that God has a better plan for me. So it prompts me to explore alternatives, rethink my strategies and aims. And in the case that I overcome the adversity, I find that it increases my faith in God Mm. and gives me greater confidence to take Mm. on more challenges. We also generally observe around us that Adversity is often a prerequisite to growth and progress. The world went through a pandemic and it's changed our way of thinking in many ways. Mm -hmm. It's led us to question our ways. It's taught us some really valuable lessons. So times of adversity do contain lessons within them, which can then aid further progress. And there's another way of looking at it. So many inventions happen with the aim of creating ease as well. And once we become accustomed to that ease, the lack thereof can feel like an adversity. So I think that that's also one way of thinking about adversities, that many times they are necessary for progress and they prompt us to reflect on our own ways of living and working. And then these times can broaden our perspective and like open new avenues of progress. I love that, Aneza. I can really resonate with that chronic verse, surely there is ease after hardship. I feel as though when I'm anxious or mm. you know going through a hardship, I look yeah. to that verse um, to provide me with relief. Um, so... The next question I'd like to ask, and Annie, if you could help uh, Mm -hmm. answer this question for us. How have your educational achievements helped you overcome difficulties or challenges in life? I think it's interesting how um, the range of my educational experiences have all contributed to the person I am today. So although I studied pharmacy and worked as a pharmacy dispensing assistant in the Netherlands, when I moved to the UK, I ended up volunteering at my daughter's nursery. And soon I found a job in a school where I loved the fact that every day was a new opportunity for me to learn something. Also, it was the conversations and the relationships that I actually built with people and pupils that made me pursue a career in education. This is why I became a mature student at university. And it was my last module that changed how I saw the world around me by providing perspectives on my own values and how I perceived them. So one of these modules was critical self-reflection, which went way beyond recognizing emotions and regulating them. It spoke about, uh, you know, unpicking your values to understand how these underpin your responses to external factors. And this really allowed me to raise my level of self-awareness. And not only was this an aim for myself, but it's also now become an aim for the students in my classes. And um, this is something that I speak about uh, in conferences as well. That's incredible. I love that so much. I think you've exemplified exactly the points we're trying to hit home for this episode. What you have essentially said is that making yourself do things that might have seemed challenging at the time were the same things that helped you grow. And I'm sure that plays a huge role in building your self-esteem and confidence. So I'd now like to ask you, if it's okay, what is the best approach to education? Do you feel as though obtaining education in particular subjects is more beneficial than other subjects? 
Michelle, that's a really good question. And and I'm just going to try and draw on my own experiences of actually studying two very different subjects. So straight after my secondary schooling, I started studying pharmacy and I became a dispensing assistant. Now, this subject taught me a range of skills, including psychology, physiology and, of course, interpersonal skills. And then when I moved to the UK, I decided to change my career and I studied education. So there were definitely some transferable skills. But the way I interpret my teaching now compared to several years ago is not dependent on the subject I studied, but the lens I perceive the knowledge through. So we have to remember that two people may experience the exact same event, but the impact of that event may be very different due to our past experiences and how these past experiences form our responses in the present. So this is also applicable to any knowledge that we acquire. So our past experiences and societal pressures may force us to continue seeing life through their lenses, or we may gather the courage to critically analyze our values. For example, we may be studying psychology, but how we use this knowledge depends on our perspective of ourselves and that of others around us. So the same knowledge of psychology is also used by dark personalities who use the knowledge of others' emotions to manipulate and coerce. So we need to remember that a subject alone, so knowledge alone, cannot educate the heart unless we unlock our heart with the key to critical self-reflection. Now, this is not possible without a high level of self-awareness. And this is why I've always been so passionate about teaching emotional intelligence within the classroom, because there has been so much emphasis on developing children's IQ that we've forgotten that education alone will not raise respectful and compassionate human beings. We only have to look around us to see how many educated monsters we have in our society. And this is why I will always advocate the development of emotional intelligence to allow us to have a higher level of self-awareness and empathy for others. That's amazing. I think you touched upon a very important point with regards to emotional intelligence. That's the IQ that's not focused on, unfortunately. And you're absolutely right. We've created these monsters with huge egos who don't have any empathy or sensitivity towards others. Definitely. And there's nothing good that can come out of that. It's not enough to put all of our efforts on academia alone. Learning of academic subjects and learning of emotional intelligence are both two things that must work hand in hand to have the most effective form of education. I'd next like to ask Aneza, if I can come to you, which academic subjects can be chosen if the aim of obtaining an education is to benefit humanity? Um, The purpose of education is not simply to get good grades and certificates. They help, of course. But the approach should be that it increases our understanding and our ability to apply that knowledge. And so I think an active approach to learning, you know, an active approach which involves gaining knowledge through experimentation, application and reflection, that helps to better understand what it is that we are studying and how it impacts the world around us. This, of course, then also helps explore how the knowledge of that subject we are studying has and could help the world. As for subjects, there are the core subjects, of course, that equip us with basic skills, such as reading, writing, speaking, and then simple maths, which are just essential to our daily life. And then as we progress further, we can choose our subjects, and they can have an impact on the degrees that we do, which often determine the, pro- the professions that we pursue. And there are many fields of study that can be beneficial, including science, medicine, research, technology, economics, law, and there's just so much more. In fact, I don't know if I can draw comparisons between which field of study would be more beneficial or not, because I think it also depends on the individual and their circumstances. 
When deciding what subject is more beneficial, it is important to consider the skills and abilities that we would gain out of studying the subject and how we can use that knowledge for betterment of society. But what's also important and why I would say that it's, it depends on the individual in, is that, that we have to decide which subjects to pursue, keeping in view our own strengths and interests, because it's important that we're able to commit to our chosen subject and often how much benefit we're able to provide through that subject we've studied depends on our own expertise in the area. And this reminds me of a quote of the head of our community, His Holiness, Mirza Masur Ahmad, may Allah be his helper, who stated in his address that the, to the youth of the Anthea Muslim community a few years ago while referring to the opportunities in the UK that, and I, and I quote, do not waste these golden educational opportunities, but instead grasp them and seek to achieve excellence in your chosen fields of interest, whether it is science or other subjects, end quote. So we are very lucky to be living here in the UK and having these opportunities to seek knowledge and excel in our fields. But the key thing here is aiming to excel in our chosen fields because our expertise of the field, as I understand, has a great impact on how beneficial it ends up being. And keeping this in mind and seeking knowledge with the aim of utilising it to benefit the world, and this, as I mentioned before, happens when we employ an active approach to learning helps put into perspective which subject is more or less beneficial for us. That's great. I couldn't agree more. I don't think there's any way that I could even elaborate on that, as I think you've put it perfectly. His Holiness Mirza Masrur Ahmed gave a huge piece of wisdom by stating that we should not waste golden opportunities and instead grasp them and achieve excellence in our chosen field of interest, regardless of that subject. We're having a fantastic conversation. However, time is fast approaching for a short break. Thank you so much, Annie and Aneza, for being a part of our program today here on Sisters on Air on the Voice of Islam Radio, where we are talking about the importance of learning and empowerment. After the break, we will have a look at how education plays a role in empowerment. Please join us after the break. Jazakallah. In his magnum opus, Brahini Ahmadiyya, part five, the promised Messiah, peace be on him, writes... By only observing the exceedingly intelligent design of this universe and the culmination of its structure into the highest perfection and stability, sound reason can comprehend the necessity of the fact that there ought to be some creator of these incomparable creations. You're listening to The Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Welcome back to Sisters on Air here on The Voice of Islam Radio, where today our topic of focus is learning and empowerment and the importance of education. We've looked at the significance of turning to God when facing challenges and are also discussing the importance of education and helping us to feel empowered, hence giving us the confidence to challenge ourselves and grow. It's very important to take into consideration when choosing what area of study to concentrate in during our university studies is how much potential there is in benefiting humanity. If we chase worldly desires when making these decisions, chances are that we will not feel fulfilled in the long run. Personally, having chosen medicine as my career choice, I leave the hospital every day knowing I made a significant difference in people's lives. Nothing can feel more fulfilling than this. 
It brings me a lot of joy that I have the ability to do something that can be of benefit to society. And I must say that this decision was influenced by the inspiration that is given by our beloved Caliph, His Holiness, Hazrat Mirza Ahmed, Ayat Allah bin Asr al-Aziz. While benefiting humanity is important, it is equally important to choose a profession that we are passionate about. We tend to thrive when we are doing things that come easy to us and that we enjoy. I feel as though the best version of ourselves comes out when we are happy and gaining satisfaction from what we are doing. His Holiness Mirza Masroor Ahmed, may Allah be his helper, once said in a historic keynote address on 8th of October 2019 at the United Nations Educational, Scientific, and Cultural Organization, UNESCO headquarters in Paris, which was attended by over 80 dignitaries and guests, including diplomats, politicians, academics, and the representatives of think tanks, as well as business leaders and various other professions, that Muslims continuously strive for the progress of humanity. He further went on to say that service is based upon the very first chapter of the Holy Quran, which states that Allah the Almighty is the Lord of all the worlds. I feel as education helps us to be better at serving humanity. In fact, His Holiness, may Allah be his helper, has helped to facilitate the opening of several schools since the start of, of his caliphate. I would like to bring in a verse from the Holy Quran. Chapter 96, verses 1 through 5 of the Holy Quran remind us which commands to recite and learn in the name of the Lord who created and taught man by the pen. Annie, I'd like to ask you, could you expand on this verse and tell us about the importance of education in Islam and its impact on our capacity to deal with challenges? Um, thank you, Michelle. So education is incredibly important in Islam, and you only have to look at the first Quranic word divinely revealed to the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings be upon him, which was Ikra, read, to understand that the pursuit of knowledge has been commanded by Allah. The most important part is that education and its pursuit have not been limited to men or a particular race as no divide is made between men and women when it comes to seeking out knowledge. However, it is important to recognize that knowledge alone does not educate the heart and mind. So as Shams Tabrizi, the spiritual instructor of Mevlana Jalaluddin Rumi said, and I quote, intellect takes you to the door, but it doesn't take you into the house. End I quote. love that. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> Our beloved Khalifa, His Holiness Hazrat Mirza Masroor Ahmed, may Allah be his helper, uh, delivered a keynote address, the one that you've just mentioned, on the 8th of October 2019 at the UNESCO headquarters in Paris in regard to Islamic principles on education and serving humanity. And I quote, but instructing Muslims to adopt his ways, Allah the Almighty has instructed them to show compassion and sympathy to the fellow creation in light of this. It is a religious obligation of Muslims to fulfill the requirements of other people irrespective of religion, culture or ethnicity and always be kind and empathetic to the emotions and needs of others, end quote. To be able to not only tolerate but accept other people and show them respect and kindness, it is really important to educate ourselves about their culture and their religion. Living in a very diverse community in London, I have seen people being scared of the unknown as they cannot understand it, even with the best of will. This is why I truly believe that in today's society, it's really important to alleviate any fears of the unknown through education. So your question was to explain how education in Islam can impact our capacity to deal with challenges. And I'm going to try to explain this through my own personal experiences of overcoming challenges. 
So one of my most humbling experiences was to go through a very difficult time and struggling to keep the faith that Allah's plan will always be better than what we planned for ourselves. I couldn't emphasize that sentence enough. It's absolutely true. But it is difficult. And the difficulty during this time was to constantly hear that it is important to have faith in Allah and we should not ever despair. And this is when I stumbled upon the verse in Surah Al-Baqarah, verse 258. And I quote, Allah is the friend of those who believe. He brings them out of every kind of darkness into light, end quote. So surrounded by darkness and not being able to see a way out for myself, this verse reminded me that Allah will bring me out of this darkness. And it was actually the word darkness that reassured me because it almost felt like my struggles had been given a name. The acknowledgement alone was so reassuring. But when I continued to to struggle and this sense of despair enveloped me, my mind told me that maybe I have earned Allah's displeasure. So once again, I was then reassured through the word of Allah in chapter 93, verse 4, and I quote, Thy Lord has not forsaken thee, nor is he displeased with thee, end quote. And then again, chapter 12, verse 87 reminded me, and I quote, I only complain of my sorrow and my grief to Allah, end quote. So although these verses reiterate that being the recipient of his blessings requires the belief in the one and to turn to our creator at all times. But as I worked for several hours on the calligraphy of these verses, I realized that not only does it reiterate the need for keeping this faith alive, but it actually acknowledges the existence of sorrow and grief. So unlike our own ability to deny ourselves our emotions and our struggles, Allah does not deny that there will be darkness, but he tells us to turn to him with our feelings of sorrow and grief. And I actually remember writing about this concept of tawakkal, which means trust in Allah. Reflecting on all these verses allowed me to see a very different perspective to my own challenges. And I remember writing that as much as failure and rejection tears you apart and you feel let down, you still turn to him and him alone And you ask Allah to guide you and walk you through the depths of your despair. And I think for me, Tawakka is about trusting Allah to wipe those tears, even the ones that fall in rebellion against his redirection, just like a child crying on his or her mother's lap. You acknowledge your weakness and vulnerability and you just turn to the one who is the source of all peace. And I think this is why my art has become a way to document these struggles of my internal battle. And, you know, Quranic verses have allowed me to understand that faith in Allah provides that reassurance that the journey may be arduous and punishing, but that's only because he doesn't want you to walk on a well-trodden path. He wants you to carve a new one for yourself. And that is Allah's plan. And this is where what I said earlier about facing your fears of the unknown, because we cannot see what is ahead of us and we fail to push ourselves outside of our comfort zone. But the more we educate ourselves in terms of Allah's guidance, the better. We can then see how his word has already articulated the challenges that we will face, but he's also signposted a way to overcome those challenges. So not only through art, but also through the written word, I have been able to reflect on my spiritual state, again with Quranic Quranic verses as stimuli. So one of my poems talks about the challenges we face, and if I may read it here... Long nights have cast a dark shadow and filled my mind with fear. The flood of tears is surging and my heart is in despair. My faith and patience tested as long days take the toll. Blind to your plan, I beg for refuge while in this deep hole. 
Lost in my doubts, numb with pain, I call upon thee. Slowly falling apart, I implore you, please hold me. Safe in your refuge, I rest my broken pieces until the dark storm passes and the flood ceases. I pray unto the heavens above to hear whispers of my merciful Lord's promise, I am near. I'm so impressed that you wrote that poem. That's incredible. <laughs> it's it's just beautiful. So this poem really allowed me to express myself, which I wouldn't have been able to do without the education and the knowledge I have to articulate my emotions. But it also allowed me to realign myself after an unexpected redirection by Allah. That's incredible. Thanks for sharing that. Thank you. Um, that was really inspiring, Annie. Thank you. I was reading the Quranic com- commentary of this chapter and I noted that in the commentary of verse 5, which is, Who taught men by the pen? His Holiness Mirza Bashiruddin Mahmud Ahmad, may Allah be pleased with him, the second caliph of the Andhya Muslim community, has explained, and I quote, It further refers to the great contribution that the pen was to make towards the propagation and dissemination of spiritual sciences and the divine secrets revealed by the Qur'an and of the physical sciences to which the study of the Qur'an imparted a great stimulus. It's really very significant that frequent mention should have been made of pen in a book which was revealed among a people who had no respect for and made rare use of it, and which was revealed to a person who himself did not know how to read and write. The fact that this verse was among the first few verses of the Holy Quran revealed to the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, shows how Islam has emphasized the importance of education from its onset. And Allah also admonishes us repeatedly in the Holy Quran to ponder and reflect over his signs, which includes the creation of the heaven and the earth. And the Holy Quran contains all types of knowledge within itself and presents evidence and strong arguments in support of its claim. So naturally it stresses upon seeking knowledge. And it is this knowledge that then helps us better understand the wisdom behind God's commandments, and which increases our capacity to deal with challenges. And it's also often alleged that Muslim women do not have the right to seek education, whereas the Holy Prophet of Islam, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, has said that it is the duty of every Muslim to seek knowledge. In fact, the importance of education is such in Islam that there is a saying of the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, that seek knowledge even if you have to go to China for this. Now, it's worth noting that the conditions at that time in the 7th century were such that travel to China, the most distant country from Arabia, was filled with extreme hardship and expenses. And so this, I hope, reflects just how much emphasis Islam has laid upon seeking education. Those are truly some very moving words and quotes. Thank you so much for sharing them. Now, we've talked a lot about turning to faith and God in times of hardship and challenge, but it's also equally important for believers to turn to faith and God in times of ease, too. Can you, Annie, explain why education is emphasized in Islam? What role does education play in religion and faith? So education is definitely one of the best ways to reform society. And it's really important for us not just to educate ourselves, but to truly understand what faith means to us. Faith really provides a lens to experience life's events. So this is why we need to relate to our beliefs on a personal level in order to allow faith to seep into our hearts. And if we want to have any questions answered, all we need to do is turn to the Internet and we will have this whole range of answers in front of us within seconds. But how will you know which source to trust? This is why education requires, especially in today's age, the skill of critically analyzing the knowledge we find and whether that is in support or direct conflict with our values and our faith. 
One example that I can give you is that a large majority of people still believe that Isaac Newton was the scientist who discovered gravity in the 17th century. Now, ever since this knowledge has been disseminated into mainstream education, no one's really challenged this so-called fact. Even when educators discuss Isaac Newton's gravitational theory, they are either not aware of it or they fail to shed light on the fact that this theory was actually heavily influenced by Muslims' polymaths and some others from several centuries before him. This is why during a time when knowledge is easily attainable by the click of a finger, it's really important to engage with the knowledge we find on a more critical level. I remember once being told that knowledge is power. So it's really important to harness that power within the values of our religious beliefs to ensure that this power does not corrupt us and doesn't feed this selfish ego within us. Absolutely. And um, also in an address to young girls, Hazrat Khalifatul Masih V, Ayadut Allah bin Asr Aziz, said it is important to be aware of the type of education we should attain. And secondly, be aware of how that education can be utilized for the best interest of the religious community. Can you tell us your thoughts on this, Anaza? Serving humanity is at the heart of Islamic teachings, and women have been given a high status in Islam. And so the responsibility that lies on Muslim women is also huge. Our Caliph, His Holiness Mazlum Masood Ahmed, has described women as nation builders. His, His Holiness has said, addressing Ahmadi women, and I quote, You will be the ones who lead others towards genuine progress and development, rather than simply following the crowd towards meaningless material pursuits. This quote alone shows that our great status and our role requires of us to use our capabilities to benefit the world. We're not to sit idly, but to take an active part in the propagation of our religious teachings and to become an asset to our community and to our nations. So when that realization sinks in of the role we as women have to play in the progress of our community, it makes great sense that our potential should not be wasted. Instead, we should exert efforts in acquiring knowledge that would be beneficial and at the best interest of our religious community and the wider community as well. And His Holiness has guided us several times that we should not waste our skills and talents, but employ them in serving humanity. I remember in his recent address, His Holiness had given the example of Hazrat Aisha, the wife of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, that she had attained a rank far beyond that of the men of her time in terms of religious education. The Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, had said that half of Islamic faith could be learned from her. So His Holiness guided us to emulate her example and guide the world. So for me, when I look at the guidance of our Caliph for us to be aware of the knowledge we're seeking as well as how we're using it and his high expectations of us, naturally I am motivated to seek the knowledge that would be at the best interest of my religious community because today the world at large is deprived of the true teachings of Islam and it is in dire need of guidance. And as Ahli Muslim women, we share that responsibility of propagating the message of Islam and then sharing its true teachings to the world. Absolutely. Can you describe what feeling empowered means to you and why this is a good quality or character trait to have, which can in turn be a benefit to our society and our wider communities? So empowerment means giving someone the authority or the power to do something. And so this quality or trait doesn't come from only having self-confidence and determination, but it very much depends on the external support that we're getting and the opportunities that we're given. It's not easy to feel empowered if you're not if you're not given the opportunities to excel if there's no one around you who believes in your potential and feeling empowered to me means to be given all the fundamental human rights to have an equal status as that of men and to be given opportunities to succeed islam teaches us that allah himself has given us an equal status to that of men and we as women have been granted all the rights from allah so fortunately i don't need to look 
at any person or organization to fight for my equal status or my rights as a woman. They've already been granted to me by God, and they're not up for debate. And that is very empowering. I observe and experience through being a part of the MDM Muslim community, the opportunities that women have been given to excel, the freedom they have to arrange and run their own events, to hold offices within the community, and the emphasis on their education and providing opportunities to them. And this is evident from the fact that the literacy rate of MD women is 99% and higher than that of their male counterparts within our community. And it is the unyielding support and profound guidance we receive from our Caliph, our head of community, His Holiness Mizza Masur Ahmed, that motivates us to excel and progress. His Holiness May Allah be his helper said, and I quote, Women have the potential to scale the greatest intellectual heights, and so you must never underestimate yourselves. Rather, seek to fulfill your rich potential, as it will provide you with the capability to raise your children in a way that they grow to be beneficial to society. It will also enable you to defend your faith and beliefs. End quote. I feel that this quote perfectly encapsulates how women can benefit the society and the wider community once they are empowered. They can train the future generations, they can lead the path to progress. In fact, His Holiness has also stressed upon many times how anti Muslim women have the potential to bring about great moral and spiritual revolution in the whole world. So this, I believe, shows the great benefit to humanity of empowering women and unlocking their potential. Indeed. Uneza, you've summarized the meaning of feeling empowered beautifully. May Allah Almighty give us all the strength to feel empowered ourselves as well as empowering others. Amen. Thank you so much to our guests today, Annie Butt and Aneza Ahmed, for joining me today in the studio and participating in this very meaningful and important discussion. I would like to end today's discussion with a verse of the Holy Quran, which states, And of men and beasts and cattle, in like manner there are various colors. Only those of his servants who possess knowledge fear Allah. Verily, Allah is mighty, most forgiving. This verse is from chapter 35, verse 29 of the Holy Quran. And from a commentary of this verse, it can be understood that through attaining knowledge, both spiritual knowledge as well as secular knowledge, people from all backgrounds can realize God and build a relationship with him. Not only does this highlight the importance of seeking knowledge and education in Islam, but also I believe that it serves to shatter the disillusioned view that Islam demands blind faith or that Islam is incompatible with science and academia. Here in this verse, quite clearly, <clears throat> God is instructing Muslims to educate themselves as a means to further understand the world that God has created, to understand his attributes, to have a deeper recognition of his mercy and get closer to him. For a Muslim, this in itself is very empowering. It is important that we all try to inspire each other and strive each and every day to learn and to fulfill educational achievements, as this will in turn help us to be of benefit to society. We are fortunate to have each other. I truly believe that we are sisters, and I personally feel very blessed to be part of this Sisters on Air community that we have, and I feel very empowered by having a community to fall back on. I feel as though we should all feel very, very blessed to be a part of Sisters on Air. Alhamdulillah. I want to thank our listeners for tuning in. I've been your host, Michelle, and this has been another episode of Sisters on Air on Voice of Islam Radio, produced by Mrs. Shermeen Butt. Please join us again next time for more discussion on matters relating to women and religion and society. Assalamu alaikum. Peace be upon you. <laughs>